0: church exists to shine as light in our homes in our community and in our world to contact us or for more information see our website at wildwoodchurch.org if you would please take out your bibles and turn in them in the middle of your bible to psalm number 23 psalm 23 if you don't have a bible there should be one under under a chair in front of you And you can take that Bible and turn in it to page 401 in the front portion, and you would be at Psalm number 23. Now, when I was a very young teenager, I was a big fan of Sherlock Holmes movies. And when I talk about Sherlock Holmes movies, I'm talking about the movies that starred Basil Rathbone as Sherlock Holmes and Nigel Bruce Bruce as Dr. Watson. And to me, they were, and still are, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. Uh, They made, Rathbone and Bruce, 14 movies from 1939 to 1946. And if you know your Sherlock Holmes history, you'll know that those movies are based on stories written by the Scottish author and physician, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And he created the character of Sherlock Holmes, who was known for his logical deductive reasoning, his forensic science skills. In fact, Sherlock Holmes was the forerunner to CSI. And uh, Sherlock Holmes was also known for his great disguises. And then you had Dr. Watson, who was Sherlock Holmes's right-hand man and the chronicler of all of their events and their operations. You know the story. You know that they home-based out of 221 B. Baker Street in London. And uh, I want to read to you a short interchange from a, sort, a short story that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle wrote. It was entitled, A Scandal in Bohemia. And this is a classic interchange that you see between Holmes and Watson. Sherlock Holmes talking to Watson. And here's what Holmes says to Watson! Watson! You see, but you do not observe. The distinction is clear. For example, you have frequently seen the steps which lead up the hall to this room. And Watson goes, frequently. Then Holmes asks, how often? Well, maybe hundreds of times, Watson says. And then Holmes says, well, then how many stairs are there? Watson how many? I don't know. And Holmes replies, quite so. You have seen, and yet you have not observed. I know, he says, that there are 17 steps, because I have both seen and observed. Now, I believe a similar distinction is true with Psalm 23. See, Psalm 23, most of us have seen, most of us have heard Psalm 23. Most of us have been encouraged by Psalm 23. And yet, most of us have not observed Psalm 23. Most of us have never studied Psalm 23. Most of us have not sought to mine the riches that are found in the in this great Psalm. For many of us that are here today, you would say, well, I I have heard of Psalm 23 from the time that I was a child. And so there is familiarity, and yet I think there's often a lack of clarity about the true meaning of Psalm 23. For others of us, if we were going to do one of those word association games and the, the term was Psalm 23. For us, the word association would be something like funeral or death. And by the way, Psalm 23 is the most requested Scripture reading at memorial services. I can tell you that from having done them for more than 30 years. Indeed, Psalm 23 has been a deep comfort to generations, generations of believers in Jesus Christ. Now, I also know that it's likely that for some of us here today, as we begin to move into a study of Psalm 23, this will be your first exposure to it, your very first exposure to a classic portion of God's Word. But no matter what our situation may be, I I can say this, for all of us, we have an opportunity to go into a very rich and sweet Portion of God's truth. We're going to have the opportunity to drink slowly from Psalm 23, to savor it, to enjoy it, and to be refreshed by it and strengthened by it. Psalm 23 is 114 words in English. 54 words in the original language Hebrew. And Psalm 23, this is amazing when you think about it, was penned around 1000 B.C. So for 3,000 years, that's 30 centuries, this has been the best known and most loved poetic expression of all history. And we have the opportunity this morning to read Psalm 23. So if you have your Bibles out, I invite you to follow along as I read through Psalm 23. Notice it says this The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, as we read through that, did you note the melodic tone to this psalm? Did you notice the tone of peacefulness and the tone of serenity and the tone of calmness that is found there. The Lord is my shepherd. Green pastures and quiet waters. Restores my soul. Guides me. You are with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me, my cup overflows, goodness and mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever." Psalm 23 has been quoted and recited in hospitals and in homes, in jails and in government halls, in underground churches and in megachurches. It has been quoted and recited at funeral homes and at gravesides, at bedsides and at executions. And I believe, even as a culture of Christians, we have seen it, and we have heard it, and yet we have not observed it. Psalm 23 addresses the issues that every single one of us face in life. They are issues that we do not struggle with at all times but they're issues that we all struggle with at certain times. It addresses issues like worry and fear and restlessness, just like that baby in the back. It addresses issues like weariness and aimlessness and neediness. It addresses issues like intimidating circumstances and insecurity and guilt. And it addresses issues like dissatisfaction and discouragement. Now, when you have this many people who come together, you know that we all have different situations that we're in in life. And I don't know what your situation may be. But maybe you have come here today and you are lonely and you are confused. Maybe you have come and you have the blahs and the blues and you are depressed and you are down. Maybe you're here today and you're drained and you are discouraged. Maybe you are here and you feel like you're carrying a boatload of anxiety and distress in your life. Maybe you are here today and you, maybe you feel neglected or you feel undervalued. And if any of those situations even remotely describe where you are today, I want you to know that what we are getting ready to do will be a life-altering study for you. Now, here is the plan that we're going to have as we move into our study of Psalm 23. Today, what we want to do is we want to introduce you to the psalm just to orient you to Psalm 23. And then what we're going to do is we're going to spend six times, six messages in seeking to mine the gems of Psalm 23. Now, I want you to keep your finger in Psalm 23 And go with me in the right to your Bible to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter number 2. And I want to read some verses out of Proverbs 2 that, actually, are some verses that have meant a lot to me over the years. So Proverbs 2, beginning with verse 1 says, "'My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, if you make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline your heart to understanding, or if you cry for discernment and lift your voice for understanding,' notice this, "'if you seek her wisdom as silver,' and search for her as for hidden treasures. What will happen? Verse 5, Then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright, He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. So what we really want to do as we move into our study of the God who is there in Psalm 23 is we want to do more than seeing. We want to do some observing. We want to do some mining. We want to do some reaping of wisdom that will be very practical for your life and for mine. Now, as we begin to look at Psalm 23, I want to remind you that Psalm 23 is one of a group of psalms. We have called them the original oldies. See, the title psalms comes from a word that means a song sung accompanied by an instrument. And what you have in the whole book of psalms is an anthology. It is a collection of songs. 150 of them, half of them, half of the 150, by David. We know that because 73 of them actually have written by them a Psalm of David. And then you have Psalm number 2 and Psalm number 95 that, as they're quoted in the New Testament, are attributed to David. So there's an anthology of 150 songs. Half of them are by David. And what we have in the book of Psalms is the words and the lyrics to these songs. But God chose not to preserve the music. And we've talked about this before, but part of the reason why He chose not to preserve the music is that musical styles will vary by culture. See, the music of Africa is very different from the music of South America and the music of India. And not only does music vary by culture, it varies by times. The musical styles of today are very different than the musical styles of the 1930s. So we don't have the music anymore, but we've got the lyrics to the songs. Now, I don't know about your situation, but... When it comes to mail these days, and probably it's a statement about the fact that I don't write that many letters by hand anymore. But when I go out to my mailbox, what I find there is mostly an avalanche of junk and then a bunch of bills thrown in, right? But every once in a while, there is in that mail a personal letter. And whenever you get a personal letter, what's the first thing that you do? the first thing that you do is you check the return address because you're wondering who wrote this letter. And we have, in essence, in Psalm 23, a return address about who wrote it. You'll notice the superscription of the psalm says it is a psalm of David. And in the book of Psalms, Psalm 1 to Psalm 41 are a collection of David's songs. And this is a letter written to us by David. And I want to ask and answer two questions related to David, as he's the one who sent the letter to us. The first question is, what does David know about shepherds and sheep? Because the whole imagery of the psalm, the song, is imagery about shepherds and sheep. So what did David know about shepherds and sheep? And then the second question is, What did David know about adversity in life? Because obviously, the psalm is addressed to deal with someone who's experiencing adversity in life. So what did he know about shepherds and sheep, and what did he know about adversity in life? So let's start with the first one, and that is, what did David know about shepherds and sheep? And I want you to keep your finger here in uh, Psalm 23 and go with me several books to the left in your Bible to the book of 1 Samuel and chapter number 16. We're gonna go back in a little bit of David's background to learn about what he knew about shepherds and sheep. So 1 Samuel 16. Now just a little background about what's happening as we come to chapter 16 of 1 Samuel. Saul had been the first king of Israel and Saul had no heart for God. And so when it was going to come time for them to anoint a new king, God said, I'm going to choose a different kind of a person. And I want you to notice what he says in verse 1 of chapter 16 to Samuel the prophet. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to fill your horn with oil and go. And I will send you to Jesse, the Jesse from Bethlehem, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. In other words, God says, I've got a different kind of a king in mind, and it's going to be one of the sons of Jesse from Bethlehem. Now, you can read through the chapter later if you want, but basically in verses 6 to 10, seven sons of Jesse appear before Samuel. In other words, you have Jesse parading through his sons, starting with the firstborn and working their way through. And as they come past, and many of them were strapping young men, Samuel says, I don't sense that any of those are the king that God has in mind. So then I want you to notice what happens in verse 11 of chapter 16. So Samuel says to Jesse, are these all the children that you have? And Jesse says, well, there is is the baby of the family, the youngest. And behold, he is out tending the sheep. You see, as the youngest one in the family, he inherited the job that none of the older brothers wanted. It was the most lowly thing that you could be doing, hanging out with the sheep. He says, i got one more son, the youngest one who's out there with the sheep. And so Samuel says to Jesse, go get him. We're not going to sit down until he comes here. So David is brought in. And notice the Lord communicates to Samuel as David comes in. In verse 12, arise and anoint him. He is the one. Now you have to just realize I'm sure if, if you were there in that gathering and especially if you were Jesse you would be going say what? The young baby of the family who is just he's the the lamb keeper he is the one In 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 2 the Lord at one point says to David this you will shepherd my people, Israel. In other words, God was saying to David, the principles and the practices that you have learned as a young shepherd out in the field, I want you to apply them to being the ruler and the king of Israel. Because of what you learn with sheep, I want you to turn around and be the shepherd of my people, Israel. I want you to go back to the, the, the book of Psalms and turn a little deeper into Psalms to Psalm number 78. We're answering the question, what does David know about shepherds and sheep? Psalm 78, the very end of the Psalm, verse 70. Notice a statement that is being made here. Speaking of God, It says, he chose David his servant, and he took David from the sheepfolds and from the care of the ewes with suckling lambs, and God brought him, David, to shepherd Jacob his people, and Israel his inheritance. Verse 72, so David shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them with his skillful hands. And I don't really know when it may have happened, but it seems to me that one day David was reflecting on all of this. God said that I should shepherd the people as king. And he was thinking about the roles and the practices of a shepherd. And then I think he thought, wow, the Lord is my shepherd. I think I'll write a song about how a shepherd relates to his sheep is how the Lord God relates to me and how the Lord God relates to us. So when we ask the first question, what does David know about shepherds and sheep, the answer is everything. Everything. It is a psalm of David. The second question we are asking and answering is What did David know about adversity in life? Well, if you study his life, you know that he knew what it was like to experience great difficulty. He knew what it was like in life to take a heavy blow that life sometimes delivers. David had more than the normal share of mistakes and misfortune and scars from life. David knew what it was like to be a poverty-stricken shepherd. David knew what it was like to be hunted as a criminal and to have to survive by hiding in caves and hiding in the woods. David knew what it was like to experience his relationships coming apart at the seams. David knew what it was like to have his wife criticize and mock him publicly. He knew the embarrassment over poor choices as his children rebelled. He knew what it was like to have his spirit utterly crushed as his favorite son, Absalom, ultimately loses his life as an outcome of his rebellion. David knew what it was to fall into adultery and reap all of the consequences from that. David knew what it was to be a grieving parent over the death of a newborn. David knew what it was like to be abandoned by most of his friends when he went through the darkest, most difficult period of his life. He knew what it was like to have his best friend faithfully stand by David, even at the risk of his friend's life, only to see his best friend lose his life in a tragic way. I tell you all of that because I think it's so vitally important that we understand this is more than a hypothetical song written by someone who had a stress-free life. Psalm 23 is a whole lot more than some fanciful, unrealistic thoughts. It is frank testimony that was forged on the anvil of life. And David wants you and me to learn more about the God who is there, the God who is like a shepherd, who will sustain you and guide you and refresh you and restore you. And David wants to testify that this God, our shepherd, Is our all in all. And so I think it is only wise for us to lean in and to listen and to learn from David. So that is our plan. In the next few weeks, we're going to do some mining, we're going to do some observing. We're going to do some investigating. And what we're going to do is to tap into some truth that has brought deep comfort and encouragement to generations. Think about the generations over 30 centuries. I would like to read the psalm again. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Men and women and young people, this is a tremendous counterbalance to a tendency that I have and that you have. And that tendency is to fret and to be anxious. That tendency is to struggle with doubt and to struggle with discouragement and to struggle with disbelief. And David wants us to know that we have a shepherd, a shepherd who is personal to us, who is relational with us, a shepherd who cares. Shepherd who has your best interest at heart, a shepherd who is dedicated to being our all and all. He is the God who is there. who is our all and all. Now I want to invite you to, to get out the little insert that was in your bulletin that is it, the outline of Psalm 23. You'll notice it says, the God who is there, Psalm 23, He is our all in all. And this shows you how the next six weeks, Lord willing, we get there, our study is going to be, how it's going to lay out. First of all, we're going to look at God our great shepherd in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Then we're going to look at the God who satisfies from verse 2 in the first part of verse 3. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. And then we're going to look at the God who guides from the last part of verse 3. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And then we're going to look at the God who protects from verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And then we're going to look at the God who provides from verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil My cup overflows. And then we'll conclude by looking at the God who promises from verse 6. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So all we've done today is simply to introduce us to this song about the God who is there but there's some life response I want us to have. I want us to respond to this, and here's the directive. I want to challenge you to read Psalm 23 five times in the next week. Now, I'm suggesting that you do that in a quiet place, okay? I don't mean read Psalm 23 five times while you are watching Sports Center on TV. Or don't read Psalm 23 while you are texting your friends, okay? I want you to read Psalm 23 five times in the next week, but I want you to do it in a quiet place. And as you do that, I want you to have two things in mind. The first thing I want you to do is to notice the pronouns in Psalm 23. For example, my. And the second thing I want you to be thinking as you read it five times in a quiet place is I want you to be thinking about, this is God's message for me. He has a message for you. And that message is all about the God who is there, who is You're all in all. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the living book of the Bible, and we thank you for the tremendous thrill and treat it will be for us to observe more carefully something that has been a delight to believers for some 30 centuries And Father, we would pray that as we go through this, that you would teach us some new truth, give us new insight, new understanding to how you are our shepherd and how you are the God who is there and how you are our all in all. Meet with us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.